him laugh, make him laugh. Bet you all tired of hearing the constant blather. In the end, you just want to know that laughing matters. From entrepreneurs to Fortune 500, humor makes the world go round. You didn't know? It's a fit for a throw, like a roll with spaghetti. To keep your culture light when times are heavy. So sit back and relax as you raise the bar. When it all comes down to the ha, ha, ha. Yeah, make him laugh, make him laugh, huh? You make him laugh, make him laugh. Welcome again to another episode of Laughing Matters, a podcast unlike any you'll hear anywhere else. We explore the power of humor and laughter in a world that, quite frankly, sorely lacks both. And we talk about how leaders from everywhere across all walks of life use humor to take the edge off. I'm your host, Paul Merchan, Senior Vice President at Peppercom, and I'm joined, as always, and once again, by the stalwart CEO of Peppercom, Steve Cody. Good morning, Steve. Stal- stalwart, eh? Uh, it's it's an especially gloomy Friday for anyone like Paul or me who are fans of New York sports teams. But let's let's not let's not focus on the grim. Let's focus on the laughter and the smile with our guest today, Paul. I absolutely agree, Steve. And it's great to hear that you're so in touch with your emotions because we're here with a guest who's here to break down the science behind feelings and emotions. He is an expert in the study of neural expression of emotions and how they motivate our behavior and how they impact the brain. After getting his PhD in psychology from Texas A&M University, he worked at the University of Alabama for 10 years before landing at the University of Delaware, where he is currently the director of the school's interdisciplinary neuroscience graduate program and a professor in the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences. It is a distinct pleasure to welcome Dr. Philip Gable to the Laughing Matters podcast. Welcome, Phil. Hi, thanks. Good to be here, and I'm looking forward to this. We are as well, and, and we think it's just absolutely fascinating what you do. And of course, we here at Laughing Matters, we talk about how to take the edge off and how to look at things more lightheartedly and, and work and all facets of life. And you're actually researching where all these different emotions come from. So we'd love to start by asking you a little bit about some of this research that you've done about this intersection of emotions and behaviors and how it all works from a neuroscience perspective. Can, can you share with us a little bit in particular about how the concept of humor is worked out in the brain? And why do you think it's so hard for some people, especially in the business world, to use humor? Yeah, yeah, I really I really enjoy studying emotions, how they're useful to us, how they motivate us in particular, um, what they do to us, as in like how they change the way we think, the way we see the world. Uh, and humor is no different than that. Emotions are extremely powerful even something that we might not consider to be as powerful, like laughter, for example. Like, you know, laughter doesn't make people want to run after something, and laughter doesn't make us want to run away from something like fear does or disgust does. But as we can all know, it's really powerful in the sense of how it brings people together, how it's a shared experience, um, simply how it can just help us to feel more connected to one another. Um, so I think that's really exciting, and that's what I love about setting emotions is just the, the power of the emotions. In the brain, humor is often associated with um, how people are updating kind of schemas. I, I think it was, I don't want to get in the weeds here too quickly, but you know, it was Aristotle who first connected the fact that amusement is often associated with the, uh, a surprise, an, an update of information. And so a lot of the things that connect the brain to humor are often associated with that, where you're linking two concepts together or you're, you're making sense out of a, a new thing. In humor, we call it a punchline. Um, but 
in in psychology, we try to investigate exactly what it is about the punchline that's causing this. And there's a lot of different brain areas connected to that. So it is pretty powerful and it is related to neural uh, processes as well. Yeah, I, I be awesome. careful, Bill, because Paul is a big fan of Socrates mm-hmm. and uh, he's part of an anti-Aristotle movement in North Carolina. So just, uh, just, right. just, yeah, just be very careful. Oh, in, I'm in, really- in, fairness, in fairness, Steve, it's the first Greek philosopher quote that we've had on the podcast. So either way, I think we're reaching new horizons here. <laughs> no question about that. Um, speaking of horizons, I, I'm fascinated by your three academic um, um, experiences. So Texas A&M, you had the Aggies, you had the Crimson Tide at Alabama, and now you've got the Blue Hens at the University of Delaware. And I'm, t- I'm interested in the student reaction uh, in the classrooms. Um, are you in bringing humor into the classrooms? And how did the students in Texas versus Alabama versus Delaware um, react to, respond to laughter in the classroom? Yeah. Oh, man. There's, there have to be, there are major cultural differences between all three of the schools I've been at. Um, and I think the biggest thing is you got to read your audience you know, um, where, what resonates with them at what point in time. The other thing that I've had to come to realize is I'm getting older. Uh, and from when I first started teaching almost 15 years ago until now, um, I, you have to update your jokes, things that once were intuitively funny, because maybe I was more in touch with the culture that was resonated with college students. Now I've had to update that. Uh, and I, you know, we were just talking with some colleagues the other day about we used to be able to use uh, examples from movies and videos and things like that, that we all knew. And now all those examples are old and no longer funny. Uh, and so I think part of the access of humor is just being current uh, enough that it is amusing to, the, to the, the current students. The other thing is I, in, the, in the classroom, I think amusement's really good at, at sort of breaking it up. You know, if, if you're in the classroom and you're presenting new material and new material, back to back to back, that's exhausting. That's mentally challenging for students. And then to be able to step back, tell a story, especially one that has a little bit of amusement to it, uh, it lets them sort of take a bigger picture for a second before re-engaging with new material. So we can dive back into it, but it it sort of sets a good tone. Like any good storyteller um, or teacher or lecturer, they, they end up having rhythms to it, you know, and some of those rhythms involve humor and some of them involve, you know, let's think about something else different for a second before we come back to the main point. Uh, I think it really helps students absorb the material and, and just kind of connect a little bit better. That makes perfect sense. And I hate to put you on the spot, but is there an example you can share of where you shared material and then you saw the, the, re, the audience was not necessarily responding to the way you wanted and then you injected humor? <laughs> All the time, <laughs> all the time. Yeah, I. It's sometimes as a as a professor, you end up feeling like a failed comedian. Um, I think that that happens quite frequently, where you, you think, hey, this is gonna this is gonna land. This is gonna land really well. Maybe it's a joke you planned ahead of time, and then you make that joke, and either your timing was off, or or they're really into it. Um, and so you know, they they don't want to be. They're not thinking humor at this point. They're thinking, let's get these notes down. Uh, and so it just, it really fails. Um, and then what's actually funny is then they get a laugh out of you laughing at your own failure or you making a joke (laughs) at your own expense for the, for the fact that your joke didn't work, you know? Um, and so I, there's been some work at the ubiquitous dad jokes, um, where, you know, it shows you're, you're willing to self deprecate 
-hmm. you're saying, hey, I'm up here lecturing over material that I find important and valuable. I want you to know. But at the same time, I'm a person, too, who makes bad jokes. <laughs> and I, ha I have to believe that makes a connection with the students and deepens your relationship with the students when they see you pretty much laughing at yourself and allowing them to laugh with you. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. You know, the other big connection is just being really passionate about what it is. Um, so if you're, I, I find the students really resonate because I really love what I teach. Um, enough to, to even make fun of it. You know, if you really love something, you're able to kind of laugh about it a little bit more, but then they also see the excitement and the interest that you have. So yeah, I think pulling in all the emotions is helpful. Yeah, and I love how you talk about keeping it current because I feel like the type of humor that we're using today is very different from the humor when I was growing up. Some things are more accepted now and some things are not. And I wanted to delve into this whole concept of staying current versus the issue of time. And the reason I'm asking you is because we saw that you were quoted in the Wall Street Journal earlier this year in an article about how time uh, acts and how people see it, say that time is always flying, but it feels like it's going by a lot faster for folks now, and perhaps the pandemic had something to do with it. And you studied this during the pandemic, the perception of time, how it's affected by staying home and, and the lockdowns and things like that. So you mentioned in this article with the journal that motivation affects our perception of time, that when you're motivated to do something, it makes it easier for you to make the effort. You persist at it, you keep at it longer. So I wanted to ask you if you could provide us with some tips about staying motivated at work and how does humor play into all that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I love getting to study that. Again, this is, I like to study the impact that emotions have on things we're not even aware of. You know, we're often aware that emotions make us feel better, but they impact the way time passes. You know, I thought that was really fascinating to study that. And unfortunately, the pandemic gave us a really powerful situation where we were all impacted collectively. Um, and yeah, just to briefly talk about that, what we found was that very early on, everyone was feeling really low. There was a lot of negative emotions, just people were feeling really down. Um, and that made time just really drag. Uh, on the other hand, over after that first month of March 2020, we started seeing an increase in people feeling more positive feelings, feeling better about themselves, uh, better about just experiencing more positive emotions. And what we found is that as they started to experience more positive emotions, they also felt time went by faster, uh, which, of course, this is a common phrase that time flies when you're having fun. Um, right. And, and what we were able to drill down and under, understand in our research was that it's really how motivated people were that made time seem to go by faster. So when people are experiencing a high degree of motivation, time flies by even more quickly. Um, and the, the folks that were able to, you know, I hate to use any kind of positive term related to the pandemic, but the people that were able to still have a sense of positive emotions tended to have uh, the experience of time moving by at either a normal pace or at a, at a more accelerated pace um, because of the emotions that they were experiencing. And humor is no different than that. If, if you can find something to laugh about, even in the midst of a very difficult and dark situation, uh, I think that has a way of, of helping us. It gives us a chance to sort of step back, reassess, uh, maybe repair, maybe connect with other people, all good things to help us be more motivated. So that's great. That really explains why the Mets 2023 season seemed like it took a decade. <laughs> uh, it did not fly because it was no fun. 
Um, okay. Turning to uh, another subject, Phil, I know you work with some major global brands to help them gauge consumer behaviors and obviously critical to understand, you know, what is the customer like? What does she want? What does she desire? And you know, obviously you tie this into neuroscience, emotional patterns. That's pretty esoteric stuff for guys like Paul and me. Um, can you just walk that down a little bit and tell us exactly what you do and how you help these global brands? Oh, yeah. I I really love applying the study of emotion and motivation to, to tangible ways of better understanding consumer behavior, um, understanding how everything from a package to an idea might impact people emotionally and motivationally. And obviously, those concepts have a lot of impact on buying, perceptions, uh, interactions. And so some of the work that I was able to do, I think one of the most impactful things that I was able to do recently was work with a marketing company. It was a marketing company in the university or in the United Kingdom uh, called Adam and Eve DDB. And we did a, uh, it was all pro bono work where we were trying to create a campaign to get people to act to eliminate period poverty. Uh, really the, the, the tax, the additional burden of buying uh, feminine hygiene products on a monthly basis for a lot of women. And the idea was of the campaign was to motivate people to want to change this. Um, and so we were actually trying to target, use anger to get this to happen. Now, anger is not uh, amusing in really any way, um, but the idea was leveraging emotions to get people to act. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun to get to work with experts uh, in graphic design, videography, marketing, uh, and then applying you know, my expertise in emotion and motivation psychology to get to help create this campaign. So, I think that was really fun. Um, on, in other campaigns, I've worked with other brands um, that have, we've been trying to understand consumer behavior in a sense of, say, for example, you know, what behaviors do people like to see their pets make? Um, and so how might that help us you know, design products or uh, marketing campaigns where people get to see those same behaviors, whether it's you know, a food type or a treat type, um, and so I think in that idea, it's just a lot of fun to be able to understand what is it that people enjoy? What do they find amusing? What do they, what do they like to see? Um, and again, it's, it's all in the name of how can we apply this and how can we help better understand the human condition in some way? It, it's still part of all that. I mean, are you seeing that many of these name brands are starting to become more open to using humor themselves? And obviously the whole purpose is to try to create these feelings of joy, right? And, and of happiness amongst consumers. Do, do you think that they, as a result, are seeing more purpose to using humor in that way and to incorporate that in their campaigns? Yeah, I think it depends on what they're they're trying to target. Um, so humor has a number of different functions. Um, the podcast has explored several of those. Um, and so if you're trying to get someone to maybe connect with other people, humor is great. You know, we can all connect around other people with a brand, for example. Um, a, a lot of times ads are showing happy people, laughing people. Um, you know, on the other hand, if you're if you're trying to target more of a maybe an action based change like we were with the, the period poverty campaign that we were talking, I was just talking about, um, you know, we wanted more action based. And then you probably want to swing to a different emotion besides besides amusement or joy in that sense. Um, so, yeah, I think it all depends on what the, the purpose is, what would be the function 
that you'd want the, the emotion to have. Yeah, so that's a awesome. great point. So obviously with the period poverty, it was about anger and getting people upset. And in the other case, it's really about connecting through laughter. So it's, as you said, it's understanding the, the audience and what's gonna move the audience and create that emotional connection. Is that correct? Absolutely, yeah. So with like a pet, you know, you wanna see your pet uh, doing something fun or amusing that brings you joy because that makes you feel closer to your pet. You know, you wanna, you know, cuddle them, which obviously they really enjoy that too. So it's sort of a, you know, it's a feedback loop where, uh, yeah. you know, kids, other adults, if we make other people happy, we enjoy doing those same behaviors. So comedians, for example, I mean, Steve, you know that really well. <laughs> I've tried it with Paul and it doesn't work. <laughs> nope, I'm a whole other animal, Steve. Um, but- uh, I blame Socrates. <laughs> right. Bill, I want to do a callback to what you mentioned earlier about self-deprecating humor, and we'll give you an opportunity to be self-deprecating here. We'd love to ask you if you can name an embarrassing story from your past that was embarrassing then, but you can laugh about now. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so the first thing that comes in mind uh, of many, among many things, um, I was I was at a restaurant, never been at this restaurant before, um, and it was this, I had just started dating this woman and I was meeting her parents. And so this is the first supper I'd had, uh, at this restaurant and the first supper I had with her parents and I excuse myself to go use the restroom and I go in there and, you know, you do your thing and I'm washing my hands in the sink and this woman walks up to the sink and she looks at me and she goes, are you in the wrong place or am I? And I mean, that's just like this heart dropping, you know, like gut wrenching moment where I realized <laughs> I'm in the women's bathroom. Um, and so I make a beeline out of there, try to go like dart into the men's bathroom. Um, but to, to make it even better, they had a uh, there was a police officer that was they just had somebody hanging out there at the restaurant. And, and of course, he gets reported that there's a guy hanging out in the women's restroom. Uh, so I get to go talk to this police officer. The whole time, I'm just praying that, uh, you know, these parents don't notice that there's, I'm having to talk to the cop that's in the restaurant. Um, and, and it was, yeah, it was just not a really great experience. And then it turns out uh, that woman became my life wife. And so 15 years later, oh. uh, I still have not told her parents that story. So I'm really hoping they... Don't listen to this podcast. Um, so, so, wait, but, wait a yeah. second, Phil. Phil, hold hold on for a second here. Hold on. A, a are you a convicted felon? We should <laughs> we should let our <laughs> listeners know. And and the woman that you met in the in the in the women's room was that was that your your future wife or was that some other random woman? And your future wife was sitting with her parents outside. I'm, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow, Steve, you make this story way better. I should tell it your way. Uh, no, it was, it, no, I do not have a criminal record. Um, so yeah, that that's not part of the funniness. Um, and then, yeah, it was just a random woman that, I mean, I can imagine she, she looked just as confused as I was when she was like, are you in the wrong place or am I? That's great. Um, and then, yeah, and then I had to go and I just, I was like, just keep it together, go back, sit down, just pretend like nothing happened. Hopefully the cop doesn't come back by and, you know, have a, I need wow. to have a conversation with you, sir. Uh, but yeah, the moral of the story is make sure you pay really close attention to the symbols yeah. on the door. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. That's, that's a universal thing. Thanks yeah. for sharing it, it, that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. It would have been uh, quite the first impression with your future in-laws. And, but, and, but so, and so, if he had been yeah. tased and cuffed at the same time. 
<laughs> that's another one. Yeah. Right. So so your in-laws don't know what happened yet. Does does your wife know that it happened yet? Uh, no, I still have not told her either. Oh, so. boy. So, okay, so you heard it here first on Laughing Matters. This this is the first time Phil has ever confessed to going into the wrong bathroom. We are destroying <laughs> Phil's academic career in real time. Oh, man. Oh, man. All right. We'll, we'll, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll do whatever know, we, it takes we all, we for always, ratings. It's yes, all about ratings about, for us. <laughs> yes, that currency always rooms supreme here. Yes. Right. Yes. If if it if yeah. it bleeds, it leads. So uh, <laughs> final question, Phil. I'm so sorry. Put you on the spot. Such a great story. Listen, you already talked about, you know, um, you know, time flies when you're having fun. So that's one great outcome of, of laughter and humor. Can you share a couple of other terrific outcomes, uh, obvious outcomes, whether it's from the academic world or, you know, the, your work in the corporate environment? You know, what are some key takeaways that, you know, what does laughter produce? What's the, the, end, the end benefit, if you will, or benefits of laughter and humor? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, I... I'd love I love lecturing on this topic, so I'm going to try to make it more concise. Um, but I think let, let me start with the interpersonal aspect. Laughter is shared. Uh, smiling is contagious. You know, if if, uh, if I'm smiling at you, you, we tend to smile back. We tend to just you know reciprocate those kinds of things. And so laughter is just is this common vocalization that we're all doing together, um, and it's signaling that we're in a safe environment. Um, that that maybe you know we were caught a little off guard. The idea of incongruity with humor, um, but that it, it's now safe and it's a shared environment. So I love the idea of laughing together as bringing people together. I think that's a really common shared experience. Mm -hmm. When we talk about though, like what happens to the individual? So obviously we can laugh at things when we're by ourselves. One of the benefits I, I could see to a a business that embraces humor and laughter is that it, it helps us see a bigger picture. You know, often in the in the corporate world, we're, we're really focused. We've got a lot to do. And so you're really goal-driven, task-driven. And then you, you come to a point where, as in any task, there's a difficulty or, or an obstacle. And instead of being, you know, getting frustrated, expending energy on things we can't change, laughing about it makes us take a step back it psychologically it lets us see a bigger picture it actually lets us incorporate more like of a we tend to see the forest instead of the trees is a good analogy mm -hmm. um, and so that may help us kind of see a, a better outcome to the problem um, or it just lets us relax for a second so that we can dive back into it we can uh, kind of go back in and tackle the problem so you know i think those are just a couple ways where psychologically and and, and interrelationship wise we start to we see benefits of humor. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I mean, it, yeah, it, the way I interpret your response is it, it, it gives us a chance to just take a deep breath. And just, yeah. um, you know, not to I mean, everything is so serious and so negative, you know, all around us. And we need breaks. We need breaks and we need smiles and we need chuckles and we need laughters. And I you know, I, I salute you for for bringing it into the classroom, bringing it into the corporate arena. And and I yeah, really okay. thank you for you know sharing all of your insights today with us. It's been my pleasure. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed chatting with you all. Thank you, Phil. Yeah. And I think we all learned once again to use another cliche, but laughter really is the best medicine. Right. When it comes to all these things and trying to help with your emotions and deal with emotions. Yeah, it's really I think great the, to the, the, the two key yeah. takeaways are think about the Greek philosopher you want to quote beforehand. 
Make sure you right. you don't offend your 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 audience, right? I know. And number yeah. number two, take a look at the symbols outside the restrooms. Those are my two takeaways. <laughs> and with that, you're set for light. So uh, on that note, Dr. Philip Gable, University of Delaware, uh, Aristotelian scholar, thank you so much for joining us at the Laughing Matters podcast. We really learned a lot, and we greatly appreciate it. And we'd like to thank our listeners and invite you to join us on the next episode of Laughing Matters. Have a great day.